This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline, Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome to the Chicago Shuffle podcast on a shitty Monday night where the shitty Bears... The 5-2 and two Shitty Bears just lost to the Los Angeles Rams on national TV 24-10 in a game that wasn't nearly that close. And if I sound angry now, just wait till we get into it. And to unpack the anger and to unpack the blame, no one better to bring back to the table than the one, the only, the fire thrower himself, Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. What is up, Ricky? What's going on, Zach? I feel like every time we do a Bears podcast, it's always after like the most heartbreaking loss possible. So when you texted me to see if I would be available to chat with you tonight after the game, I should have known right then and there that this was going to be a disaster. And uh, guess what? It was. Yeah, there were many reasons to know this was going to be not good. And I would say first and foremost was the fact that I had a four team parlay that was uh, three for three and the Bears were the fourth one. So I knew going in that this was not going to go well. Um, I, I held out hope that maybe we would lose by less than 5.5 points. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, but yeah, it, there were a lot of signs in the air and not just betting ones or Ricky ones, but uh, the, the Bears previous six games, I feel like there was a lot to uh, glean from those and wondering what would happen when it all kind of fell through on a given night. And tonight, my friend, was the night. The Bears were bad. The Bears got embarrassed in all three phases of the game. We had a punter running down the sideline, you know, doing windmills with his arm after several Mm. coffin corner punts. Mm. We had a defense that was being touted as perhaps the best unit in the NFL or one of the best units in the NFL uh, show major problems tackling guys, uh, breakdowns and coverage, some questionable penalty calls, but just like probably the worst, the defense's worst game of the season. I think there's no doubt about that. And then the offense just is terrible as ever, man. I mean, uh, the only, there were so few bright spots in this game, but like, obviously the only touchdown was scored by Eddie Jackson. Like this was classic bears prime time. 
when you don't get every single break like they did against the Cardinals when they won that game without scoring an offensive touchdown. It's like, Bears, you don't need to try to follow the exact same formula in every single decade for every single year of your existence. But it just seems like when the Bears are in prime time, they have the weight of expectations. They're facing a good team after a cupcake schedule to that point. Uh, you could have predicted very easily that it was all going to fall apart, and uh, I think that's definitely what happened to the Bears tonight. I will say, national TV white jersey Bears scares the ever-loving shit out of me. Um, I just kind of like see them take the field, and it's got that national TV primetime, nighttime look, and I'm like, ah, there are a lot of ghosts flying through my mind right now. I think, look, let's just like save the offense, because that's going to be the bulk of this, I have a feeling, and just kind of go through... First of all, credit to the Rams, uh, who are a much better coached football team, certainly offensively and defensively. You know, you could say this or that. They've got um, an all-timer Hall of Fame player that seems like all of their uh, all of their play is, is predicated on, and rightly so. Um, it, how did you – just before we do any of that, how how to feel to see Lenny Floyd out there with his two sacks, his two sacks against – the team he hates the most and that's us now how'd that feel yeah seriously i just tweeted right before we started that the bears were embarrassed by a punter and leonard floyd so it's just adding salt to the wound like a bears <laughs> loss can never just be like a normal bears loss it always has to be like someone's horribly shitting their pants while the entire country's watching or a former player who's dog shit for us comes and uh you know gets two sacks against us so it is super dick kicky always it's never just like yeah yeah had a couple plays go wrong but they showed out well i don't know that game i've never seen that game yeah i was gonna say i was struggling to think of the one positive offensive play hey we got a long pass to cole commit this has been bears fandom my entire life it's like well there were 47 plays of awfulness but Ah, the rookie tight end kind of made a play. Maybe he can be good. That's all we have to hang our hat on, I feel like, after this one. There was a long pass to Allen Robinson, too, but the game was basically over at that point. Yeah, and again, I guess we'll revisit the offense, but Cole Komet gets you know an an amazing uh, route. Uh, He basically mosses the defender, pulls it in, sees a target on the next play. Guess how many targets he had the rest of the game, Ricky? Uh, I'm going to go with – well, he had – yeah, like you said, he caught a – a pass on the next play, but I'm going to say zero targets the rest zero, of the game. Zero. So that was it. That was uh, Nagy felt really good about having seen him on the field, and he had some pet plays that he'd drawn up uh, over the weekend that he felt like those were more important. I Yeah, I'm going to – I just keep diving into the – okay, so uh, the Bears offense got defeated by a punter, and I think that, that was my thought going in. You just <laughs> tweeted about it. So that says really all you need to know about the state of the game of the Bears offense. Defensively, yeah, they got kind of like their um, – their, their, their teeth pushed in a little bit early in the game. I did see them kind of find their their pride, um, you know, somewhere. Like, right around the time that Eddie scored the touchdown, the next drive, they were like, all right, we've given up what we're going to give up. We're just going to maul you. Um, and if you, you know, they were getting gashed in the run game the whole bit. I think defensively, so I've been thinking about this a lot, like getting gashed in the run game and how it's actually not an indicator of a bad defense, nor is it like a, a fatal flaw. Like the Kansas City Chiefs, and again – it's an outlier example because of Andy Reid, because of Mahomes, because of their offense. But it's okay to give up runs if it, you're going to rush for and get a sack along the way and push a defense back where they have to pass and then be able to get off the field. So it's bend, 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 don't break. Basically a modern cover two, even though the coverage is shift. 
and the Bears run that like four two five thing, right? So they, a nickel is the base defense, and if you're if the nickel is your base defense, you're just going to give up a lot in the run game, right? But I can't tell you how dispiriting it is when it's the first or second quarter. And it's like, you know, hey, second and 10, they, they missed their first one, uh, 12-yard run. And and then to contrast that against the Bears, abs- it being absolutely impossible to get more than a yard and a half on any given run, it just seems so stark. It seems like, wow, we're really laying down tonight. I, I and just my opinion, and I, I need to look at stats, I need to think about it, and I need other people to tell me how I feel. But right now I'm like, meh, the defense played okay uh, not their best game by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, in contrast to all the great play we'd seen the last few weeks, it was like, yeah, if a couple things go better, especially with them getting a touchdown late, that, that might have been enough to get it done. Unfortunately, they play for the Chicago Bears, and there's two other phases to speak of. And to go circle back to that touchdown real quick, so Eddie Jackson had already had two touchdowns taken off the board this year by penalties. There was a flag as soon as he scooped up the ball. Straight like, path into happening. the end zone. Jackson scores the touchdown. You could tell that he had like an elaborate celebration that he planned the whole offseason, yeah. like getting ready for this first yeah. score. He's yeah. like so jacked up to do it. He looks around. <laughs> There's a flag, and you could just see it in his face. Like his jaw just dropped. You could see like his soul leaving his body in that moment, thinking he got robbed of a third touchdown or of a, you know, of a, yeah, of a third yeah, touchdown. Yeah, yeah. And finally, they call, I think it was holding on the Rams touchdown for the bears and then eddie like gets everyone together and they like kind of do like a little slow dancing or like a ballroom thing but it wasn't really satisfying it just kind of felt like they even got robbed out of their first defensive td celebration so uh just just not much good going on with that and also like it's cool to do a square dancing thing or ballroom or whatever it was but like you were already getting your asses whipped on national television like maybe not the best look to be you know square dancing right there um, yeah, and then the special teams thing. First of all, so, you know, Cordero Patterson, who I was so excited about when the Bears signed him, I'm like, this is a piece. We got a returner now. You can be creative with them. You know, all these kinds of things. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to us as Bears fans. First of all, they kick the ball deep every time he runs it out. I have no problem with that, but, like, the Bears special teams isn't particularly good, and I mean the players on special teams. So nothing's ever blocked up. So, like, I'm watching, and Patterson's running out of bounds at the 17, the 18, the 20. Do we not know that you get the ball at the 25 if you just down the goddamn thing? I know, for real. And then Ginn has the opposite problem as the punt uh, returner where he won't field the uh, ball. No, he's just like, ah, this is, I didn't ask for this. I signed up to be a wide receiver this year. So, oh, I'll go out there. I'll stand in the place you tell me to stand. But that's about all I'm going to do. And so, yeah, I would say that you know, half of the punts that ended up being pinned on like the five yard line. There was definitely something he could do about it. A little bit of credit to, to what's like a hacker, Johnny. Hecker? Oh yeah. He's Am I making really up Johnny? Impressive. He I feels like a Johnny. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like really that, that was a, a display of punting. I can't believe that. First of all, that, you know, an entire offensive uh, system series, coaching staff, everything could be derailed by a leg. But it, it was an incredible feat uh, to keep putting the Bears in terrible positions. And I'm not sure there's a worse feeling in the world than the Chicago Bears on offense on, like, the five-yard line. I just I, – I, I've never I've never seen success. You know, I, I just I've – never, I've never seen it. So let's transition since we're already there. 
to the fucking offense and what the Bears are going to do from here. Look, they're five and two. They're five and two. And if they can get through the rest this next little bit of the schedule, which is the Saints and the Titans, if they can somehow win one of those games, then, you know, they're six and three going into the easier part of their schedule. That's like a, a playoff team. That's a first round playoff loss we all get to enjoy. Um <laughs> It, it's just a question of like how, how they get there right now. And because things are failing on such a foundational level uh, to the point that I think that like players are losing their belief in Nagy's play calling. You can see it. You actually see it on the field. It began with Foles and his little, not tirade, but kind of talking to of like, this is what I want. This is what I see that's working. And now uh, the bears get to the red zone. I saw it. It was in the, it was, um, the I think it was in the fourth quarter where they were down in the red zone and trying to score. And, you know, it was right after the Allen Robinson deep throw. Next play, um, Nagy wants to put in his special play, his cute special play that he thought of, he felt so good about. And uh, I think it was Anthony Miller uh, because, you know, uh, Foles is going to the line. He's starting to call stuff. He's looking. He's, he's And then he turns around because Nagy's talking to him and sees that he wants to bring a guy in. And Miller throws his arms up and slaps them on his legs. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, so like, let's just talk about where we're at mm. with Nagy at this point. And yep. To me, I do think he has some strengths as a head let's coach. Let's talk about him. Let's, like, let's I verbalize those. Yeah, I feel like, uh, well, just like for any head coach, there's like multiple parts of the job. One part of it is like motivating the team, leading the team. Quite frankly, like, all the aspects where Mark Trestman was really brutal. Like, Trestman, I think, had some X's and O's ability, but he just couldn't lead the team whatsoever. Uh, he didn't demand the respect of the team. He couldn't hold anyone accountable. So that's why he was a disaster. Whereas Nagy, I feel like he is a pretty good leader. We saw him do the club dub stuff uh, during 2018. It seems like the team always plays hard for him. Like, uh there's been some some penalty problems, but I feel like the Bears have had worse penalty problems in the past, and some of them this year have been, uh, you know, because of bad calls from the refs. So I feel like, you know, in terms of leading the team, he's okay, but yep. the X's and O's are just like an absolute disaster. And there are things that Nagy does that anyone who played Madden when they were 12 years old would know you never do that. You could have told us right before the play happened, what do you think is going to be the outcome if the Bears do a pitch to Cordell Patterson on fourth and one from the 20-yard line or whatever it was at the end of the third quarter? Every single Bears fan alive would have told you there's a 0% chance that play works. And yet, that's what Matt Nagy calls. It's just like horrible situational awareness as a play caller in a complete inability to learn from his mistakes. And yeah. we've seen this like time after time. It was a theme quietly in the 2018 season, but like he sort of romanced us with the trick plays and some of the leadership <laughs> type stuff where we were like, ah, maybe he's got the magic. But then last year, all this stuff was just compounding on top of each other. And, you know, the defense wasn't as special. It all falls apart. And we're seeing it this year, even as they're winning. Like, yes, the Bears entered this game five and one. If the Bears would have won this game, they actually would have been the top seed in the NFC. I know. If the playoffs started today, just wild to think about because clearly this has been a deeply flawed football team all year. And in so many ways, it starts with the head coach. 
I, I definitely texted like 19 friends today to be like, hey, Bears are, uh, you know, they're, they're up there. They're the number two seed in the NFC right now. And I made a point to say that a million times because it was the last time this year I was going to be able to say anything close to that. So my working theory and analogy, because God knows I love analogies, is that Nagy, the poker player, right? Because play callers in some respects are poker players. They're reading the guy on the other sideline and they're playing chess, right? They're, they're moving guys around and showing different things and doing others. And the visor is perfect, right? So Nagy shows up at the poker table, you know? He gets there and every play he makes, he's winning. He's winning. He's raking in chips and coach of the year, you know? It just plaudits everywhere. This guy, this, this offense, you know, as soon as they can iron out Trubisky, Boy, they've got something. As soon as they can figure out exactly what they're doing and get the right guy in at running back, man, then it's going to work. Boy, they could use one more piece as a wide receiver, but boy, we really like what we see. The reality is the dude hit a lucky streak for half a season in 2018, and if you look back at the results, if you look back at the offense, if you look at the numbers, once the league figured out what he was trying to do, not only did he not have a counter to that, he kind of just lost it. And, I mean, didn't have... A plan for what to do next didn't have a, a a bag of tricks beyond that first thing he showed and here we are you know through a you know last season sucked bro how many of these did we do where we just sat here and yelled into microphones wondering you know what we're going to do with this team that had super bowl aspirations and it's all mitch 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 is the best thing that ever happened to Nagy until now totally. because you could just blame him, and rightly so, because he fucked up nonstop. But there was so much going on behind the scenes that that made it difficult for Mitch to succeed or anyone to succeed. So here we are with Nick Foles, and I don't think Nick Foles is a good quarterback. I think he's a fine quarterback. I think, and I was having this conversation the other day, he's like the fourth best Bears quarterback of my lifetime, I think. <laughs> like just So like, damning. Yeah, right. I mean, because like he's not a top twenty quarterback in the league. No, a top twenty-five even would be like tough. Uh, I, I mean, just off the off the top of your head, it shouldn't take long. There aren't many. What are like the five best Bears quarterbacks of your lifetime? Yeah, I, I, mean, I had a hard time getting to five. So there you go. For sure, dude. We've talked so much about history on this podcast so far, and uh, obviously Cutler. And then, like, Jim Miller was pretty good for, like, parts of the 01 season and before and after. <laughs> yep, Eric yep. Kramer in 95 so was there, legitimately so good. So, Cutler and Kramer were on my list. Okay, yeah. the third one? Uh, was, you said Jim Miller. I would say Miller, maybe. Okay, okay. Uh, and then Kyle Orton? I, I was thinking Orton, of course. He got the team to the playoffs as a rookie. You know, Kyle Orton's only 37 years old. I saw someone tweet that tonight. Maybe we should bring him out of retirement. With the liver of a 65-year-old man. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's probably enjoying his post-playing career. Uh, I really hope he is. He, the man deserves it. He took hits, uh, you know, in Chicago in a Mike Martz offense. So, um, yeah, I had a hard time getting to five, but I guess that means that Nick Foles is probably fourth. McCown, in all that. maybe for half the season, but oh, yeah, bro. I yeah, mean, yeah, exactly. The, the well, point okay, stands, so, dude. They, I, I, Foles actually reminds me a lot of McCown. Yeah, I want to yeah, get yeah. into this because I think Foles has some like hot streak playmaking ability. Where when you uh, really absolutely. get him locked in, and when the when it's an open throw, I feel like more often than not he can like 
put the ball in a position for the receiver to make the catch. It's not going to be a perfect throw, but if yeah. a guy is open, I feel like sometimes he can hit that throw and then he can get hot, like on a hot streak, string a few together, and you get some uh, some electric drives. But the problem is he has no ability to like pass a guy open or to like manipulate the defense in any way to outsmart the defense. And it's so tough, too, because, like, I thought this when we were talking about Trubisky during last season, it's like, I don't think Nagy puts these guys in positions positions to succeed. Uh, it's like galaxy brain football in so many oh. different ways, like how he's approaching the play calling, just the types of different plays he's even, like, trying to call in. We've seen Foles get upset about it before. Tonight there was a sequence that's going around Twitter a little bit now where – I guess uh, Nagy was trying to get a play into Foles and like the Bears just didn't even have time to like uh, run the play or, you know, mm-hmm. communicate all the things that needed to be communicated in that short amount of time. And it's just a uh, Nagy out thinking himself and like trying to be the smartest guy in the room when uh, that's definitely never been his strength, I think, uh, since he's been the Bears head coach. So, so like the strength of Foles is an ability to see the field and to like sense the momentum and to understand what's working in a moment. And every time I see him at the line calling something, I actually feel really good because I know that he's in his best possible position to succeed. And honestly, man, I, I, I think the bears would be much better off if they just let Foles run it. Like if they just were like, Hey, here are the plays. Here's what we're trying to do. But like all this, like person, special personnel groupings, again, it's just almost like the internet, man. Like at the, at the outset of the internet, everything was great and there were no downsides. And at the outset of Nagy, it was like, dude, he just called to play Christmas sleigh. And it was a pass to the fucking backup offensive tackle this is the best time I've ever had in my life. Unfortunately, he, he's still dedicated to that super special play with a super special name that he can't wait to call in at his super special time. And that's all well and good. If you have like bread and butter and an identity as an offense like it almost feels like he was an offensive assistant first and then he was an offensive coordinator but he wasn't the play caller and he's that guy that's like hey Andy Reid dude I cooked up the coolest fucking play I cooked it up it's dope and Andy Reid's like that is a good play that's it you know I'll put it on my giant menu that I order from meanwhile I'm gonna call this 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 and only do it when it's a good situation to do it so I feel like Negi's the line cook that had a good dish, and all of a sudden they're like, cool, pick the whole menu. I don't think that he has the ability to do it. And I say that for a couple of reasons. So, my God, is there a lot to talk about from this game just in terms of the examples. But one I'd like to use isn't about Negi at all, right? It's the first touchdown that gets scored on the Bears. I thought it was just, like, fucking brilliant. So, the Rams huddle up, right, and they know exactly what they're going to do. It's this quick little throw out to, you know, Reynolds or something like that on the left side, but they break the huddle and they fucking sprint to the ball to line up. I mean, there is no time for the bears to see who's where anything. I've never seen an offensive lineman do that. Like run to, to the ball and it's snapped immediately. As soon as they can get set, the center snaps at himself. Nobody has time to cover. And I'm like, that's brilliant. That has nothing to do with play design. That's just like, no team is ready to, no defense is ready to see a ball that quick. So you're going to have an open look kind of wherever you go with it. Nobody has a chance to even think about what they're going to do. So I'm like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That has nothing to do with this X and this O, and I'm going to sit there and stare at it on the wall for hours and hours. It's just like, hey, why don't we run something super quick? doesn't matter what it is. What's the, what's the play you like? And, like, that's the kind of thinking that, you know, 
Negi totally lacks. It's like he's book smart and he's street stupid. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And the the call to Cordell Patterson was just like the epitome of that. Watching that, I'm like, this could have been John Shoup. This could have been Gary oh. Croton. It wouldn't oh. have been Martz because Martz would have run a seven-step drop and four verts on yes. fourth and, and one from the 19 would have traded Cole Komet uh, at halftime, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just like these problems just compound themselves year over year. And, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, part of me was a little worried when the Bears – started to like build this good record especially when they beat carolina last week to get to five and one i'm like man are we They're gonna be stuck with Nagy for like three years yeah right like how are they ever gonna justify getting rid of him when the team is still winning because anyone who's watched these games knows just how i i, I want to say lucky or just charmed like the bears have gotten with the big comeback against detroit uh, happened again against Atlanta. Those were two 15-point fourth-quarter comebacks, which, mm-hmm. like, if you look at the history of the league, just does not happen ever. Uh, and this team's just not good. I mean, they were never good enough to get to their record. In the ultimate problem, though, is that the margin for error is just so thin. It's so, like, thin. we opened this podcast talking about the defense, but exactly like you said, like, the defense— in a hypothetical universe where the Chicago Bears have an offense that's, you know, at least in the top half of the league or at least somewhat competent, they could probably win this game. But instead, the offense is horrible. So when the offense is playing at like, you know, a 28 or 29 out of 30 level, then the defense has to pitch a perfect game every single time they take the field. Mm -hmm. They even score a touchdown in this game, which the offense couldn't do. And instead we're like, well, guess the defense wasn't good enough. Well, it's like... They have no margin for error to make any mistakes. Otherwise, it's an automatic loss. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsor jobs, which are shown, shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Look, this isn't a good football team, but this is a good bears team does that make sense like this is the bears team you and i have known when they've been somewhat relevant which is you know a dumpster fire offense for various reasons and a defense that just is bound and determined to like take them drag them to school anyways but Uh, at least those teams of our youths of our you know recent past at least they could run (laughs) yeah this team can't run to Uh, save its life So that's so that is a Ryan Pace thing, and I think we should probably talk about that too. Um, 
You want to just transition to that, or you want to like finish up Nagy, and then we'll move on to the bigger picture of what the hell the Bears do about Nagy, about the the roster, and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think my my general takeaways on Nagy is just that he just seems so overmatched in these critical situations. He lacks the ability to think on the fly. And yeah, I thought McVay ran circles around him. And how many yep. times have we said that about an opposing coach this season, even when they're winning games? It's when- night and day. It's night and day. And and. And I, I say that because McVeigh had his pet, you know, system as well, and the league adjusted to that. And he spent all of last season with like a banged up offensive line. I mean, super banged up, and they still found a way to like. I mean, they weren't incredibly relevant, but to like find a way to put some points on the board. And this year, he's made the adjustment. You know, they've got different players that are doing different things, and they have counters to what teams expect them to do. And that's kind of where I'm at with this. So. Let's just finish up on on Nagy and the play calling in the red zone because there's, you know, you can see things all over the field. And it's, okay, third downs and red zone. So you have the Cordero Patterson, you know, one-yard run, which the entire league has seen 30 times, which Twitter has, you know, picked apart and hates. Why not line up for that and throw a counter off of that? Fake it to Patterson and then have Komet, like, you know, running the other way just in the flat on the right side off of a block. Like, it feels – I can't think of one time that the Bears have run anything that was like a counter to what other teams expect them to do. And at this point, there are so many things that other teams expect them to do. It's the Allen Robinson curl flats. It's the Tarnell Mooney deep shot that is now d- so double covered that <laughs> I feel like – I'm feeling bad for Darnell Mooney. I mean, I really – and then you have Riley Ridley. You have Javon Wims. You have Cole Komet. You have other players on this team that have an opportunity to contribute in a counter kind of role. If you have, so let's go to the red zone. I feel like, and please jump in here anytime, tell me to shut up, that if the Bears are lining up in the red zone and Allen Robinson, Jimmy Graham, Cole Komet, and David Montgomery aren't on the field, there's a mistake because those are the four biggest threats you can have in the red zone. And then you have a fifth, which could be Anthony Miller or Darnell Mooney or Cordero Patterson. And I invite Nagy to scheme to his fucking heart's desire on who that guy is and what he's going to do. But if the other guys that are the clear threats, they throw it to Jimmy Graham in the red zone. They hand it off to David Montgomery. They can't wait to throw it to Allen Robinson. If those guys aren't out there doing things, then none of your pet play shit for Demetrius Harris or Cordero Patterson or Darnell Mooney matters. I just don't understand like what the thinking even is to take the threats off the field. Yeah, and another drop for Demetrius Harris tonight early in the game, which was just classic. Uh, it's it's so bad in the red zone. We're like, it's when they get in the red zone at this point, it's just like you're just waiting for something bad to happen, I feel like. And mm. uh, the field goals aren't going to be good enough. It does look like they actually have themselves a kicker. You know, and again, what what a joy, you know, the joy and sorrow of special teams, which is we got beat by a punter, but we have a kicker. I like, I like Cairo Santos. I like him. And here's the Jason Leisure tweet that I was referencing earlier. I'm just going to read this out. Brian Greasy, who was announcing the game for Monday Night Football. Brian Greasy just said that Nick Foles told the ESPN crew that sometimes Nagy sends in a play call and Foles already knows it won't work because he won't have enough time after the snap. I heard that on the air, and I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. So there you go, right? Like, maybe the trade for Foles is the best thing that could have ever happened, 
because despite the fact that Nagy's like, this is my guy, I'm going to pull him in, he's going to run my shit, he's actually going to expose your shit. Uh, Nick Foles, I, I just don't want to overstate that he's not that great, but what he can do, I mean, he's a game manager, like like an A-plus game manager. I, I told my dad, I'm like, it's the best backup football in NFL history. Like, it's a Super Bowl MVP well, maybe that's not true. Who's the guy? Hostetler for the Giants? Nevertheless, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But, like, that's what this guy is. But the fact that he – I mean, he's clearly going to be a future offensive coordinator or even a coach if he wants to. He sees what's going on. He can understand the street smarts context of what's going on. I really wonder – and I think we should all go back and look at what Matt, Matt Nagy's career as an Arena League football uh, quarterback was like. Like, was he calling plays? And if he was, how did he do with it? Like, what kind of checks did he throw in? But I think at this point, we're starting to see that Foles um, doesn't like Nagy as a play caller. And I think that's the biggest issue. They're, they're five and they're five and two now. There's no real chance of hoping for Nagy to give up play calling duties to Bill Lazor, who's shown that he can do it. I think we're we're stuck with this for the rest of this year. And then there's the off season to be like, man, COVID was terrible and we were scrambling all year and boy, the offensive line and boy, we had some rookies who were trying to get looks early and trying to fold in and boy, 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 by the way, we're going to let Bill Lazor have play calling duties so Nagy can focus on the big picture. I feel like that's the next line of excuses. Yeah, and not being able to have, like, any part of the offense that's a bread and butter is what really hurts them. Like, even when the Bears have had terrible quarterbacks in the past, well, like, you knew you had Matt Forte. and At least Forte could carry the offense a little bit. And really, like, part of that was because they would invest in the offensive line more of more, a higher percentage of the salary cap than they are now. They would also target offensive linemen who weren't just strictly pass blockers which is sort of what it feels like pace has done in constructing the offensive line and yes they've had some injuries and yes they were going against Aaron Donald tonight and he would embarrass basically anyone but it feels like they sort of uh intentionally committed just a lower portion of the cap to the offensive line it's like well Massey's okay for its contract like they decided to put all their money in the pass rush and you know for Mm -hmm. For whatever it's worth, like it is a viable strategy to a certain extent if you can get plus production from guys who you're sort of underpaying. The offensive line is one of those situations for them, and uh, they basically went all in on pass blockers, I feel like, and they can't run the ball whatsoever. And it, just because they're the Chicago Bears, they're never going to be able to pass the ball. So it feels like no matter what sort of change they make, the quarterback, the coach, signing a big play wide receiver, it doesn't matter. The Bears are never going to be a top half of the league passing team if they could be a top 20 passing team it would be just remarkable for me and you to see so you at least have to do something well and I feel like this Bears offense does nothing well they can't run the ball uh, the play calling's terrible they don't really have like a pet play like it looked like it might be like the curl to Mooney for like 10 it's, yards it's at one point Patterson but on a, on a toss sweep uh, you know, maybe it's Graham inside the red zone, but like they just don't have any sort of bread and butter offensively. And I think it's that's tough. really the most damning thing about Nagy, who when he came to the team was your purported quarterback whisperer, offensive genius. That's what we were told he was good at. And instead, he's leading a team that does nothing well. It's it's uh it's too many cooks in the kitchen in some regards. And I think 
he did have a system that had its counters that he understood. And it was the RPO system that we saw. I was watching a 2018 regular season game on YouTube the other day because, you know, uh, everything that's being put out on Netflix and everything else these days is horribly depressing and bloody. Uh, and then there's like the news and the real world. So I watch old stuff. It's really uh, satisfying and I recommend it to everybody. So I was watching a 2018 uh Bears game and the offense is unrecognizable from what it is now. It was like all these cool concepts, all this RPO stuff. Like, you know what I miss, Ricky? I miss that little shuffle pass to the tight end, right? The in breaking one that's going, you know, like towards the, you know, from being broken out wide towards the line and then, you know, hike it, fake it to the running back, and then just like it right at the last second, you kind of pitch it forward to the tight end who crashes like through the gap, the A gap or whatever. That shit worked great with Trey Burton. It worked great. And it could totally be Cole Komet because nobody's seen the Bears put anything like that on film for a year and a half. What they have now is, and it's so strange, man, like they do have pet plays. The pet plays are that curl route to Allen Robinson, uh, some shit to Jimmy Graham, especially in the red zone, uh, David Montgomery run that doesn't work, uh, and then deep incomplete passes to Darnell Mooney. And then, like, they've lost Anthony Miller, who's got his own blame to take for that, but he's lost within this offense. The thing I don't understand is why – okay, pet play, Jimmy Graham. Why aren't you using that as a fake and then finding somebody that's wide the fuck open otherwise? I do know that Nagy can scheme up a guy running open deep. I think we've discovered that, and we've seen Mitch and we've seen Nick Foles – uh, be completely unable to complete those to the point that I think opposing defensive coordinators are like, yeah, that's a break point in our defense because they can't complete it. Meanwhile, you can't scheme up someone open five yards past the line of scrimmage. It's like, work on that. Don't tell me we need to hit these crazy shot plays because those are the ones we've made open. Make easier throws open if you're so good at this. Yeah, and, you know, it's a lack of playmakers, too. It's like Anthony Miller, who they traded up to get. I feel like mm-hmm. he just hasn't been good. He did make a beautiful one-handed catch tonight that they won the challenge on, and then, of course, it leads to the Patterson pitch, which was doomed from the start. Uh, but Miller just hasn't been good enough, I feel like. The joke around the NFL all offseason was that the Bears had nine tight ends. Well, if you have nine tight ends, you don't have one good one because they really haven't gotten much from their tight ends consistently on a game-to-game basis outside of Graham in the red zone. Uh, and it's just like, I feel like they're relying on Patterson to be some sort of game-breaker on offense, which is so reminiscent of them trying to shoehorn Hester into a wide receiver role because you have this really explosive guy in the kick return game and you're just like, well, if we can get him the ball in space. And it all sort of makes sense if you think about it enough, but we just haven't ever seen it. It's so much more theoretical than it is tangible. We've never really seen Patterson have a game-breaking impact on the offense from under center. So it's, it's all these disparate parts that have no connective tissue, right? Like and the connective tissue being like a general offensive identity, right? Here's just a series of plays. Here's a run. Here's a deep shot. Here's a Patterson one. Here's a Jimmy Graham two yard flat shot. Like they just feels like very random and happenstance. And I think remember when you know, when you know Nagy first became the offensive play caller for the Bears, like the scripted plays worked because they were built off of one another. We'll do this, then we'll do this, then we'll do this. And then for like the rest of the, you know, the next three quarters, the bears would be just shit. Cause it'd be uh Nagy trying to like, you know, 
pull it up on the fly and Mitch messing it up and blah, blah, blah. So I think we could have seen it coming. I, yeah, I, I don't know where we go in terms of Nagy doesn't have a run game to lean on, and that's uh, a real problem. And, and Foles doesn't have a run game to lean on, so that's a real problem. Um, we're not going to see any changes in terms of the offensive concepts, in terms of what they, what it is they try to do. You kind of just have to hope that other teams fuck it up and that plays break your way uh, every single week because I think we've seen enough of this strung together now. You know, after week one, week two, week three, you go, okay, this is about the opponent and the game script and blah, blah, blah. But we're, you know, what is this, week seven? We're seven weeks into this. This is kind of who the Bears are. And I think it's completely unacceptable, even with the quarterback change, to be saying, well, you got to give this thing time, blah, blah, blah. Dude, Shanahan is over there in San Francisco with backup linemen, his, like, fifth running back, a quarterback that sucks horribly, uh, <laughs> a, a backup quarterback that sucks worse, a third stringer named C.J. Beathard, and that can never be a good quarterback, and they're just rolling it down his team's throat. So I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the we need time and this and this and this. I'm tired of the press conference sobriety of, like, got to do this more, got to do that more, as though someone else is in charge of those decisions. I'm tired of Matt Nagy not being able to, like, see the forest for the trees. And I think – the, the organization is much more invested in him as put, you know, and again, there's all those positives you spoke of, of his good vibes overall is, is um, kind of control of the locker room and empowerment of the right players uh, saying the right thing, you know, being generally honest with the media, those kinds of things that, you know, things I do appreciate, but if I would say the core job of a head coach, one that comes from an offensive system is going to be the play caller is organizing the offense. And so from the play calling to the situational awareness, to the overall scheming, to the fact that the players don't know the details, that they don't know where to line up. That's like, so you're ba a bad teacher, you're a bad theorist. Um, like what is it you do here? And I understand that the bears are a winning football team and that'll sound incredibly negative, but I don't think I'm saying anything that's not true. It's just that we've gotten to this point with him. And if he is not going to make some sort of drastic changes in the way that he does business, I think we're going to see him out of the league sooner rather than later. You it, think like you agree with that? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, first of all, when is this going to end? How is it going to end? And then, yeah, it's like, it's hard for me to see him getting another head coaching job, I think, but uh, in case people are listening to this thing that we're overreacting to, you know, uh, one bad loss, drops the Bears five and two, what you're just saying, these were all the conversations I was having last week after a win when they won at Carolina 23-16, very unimpressive win. Uh, watching that game, it was like, this team has no business being five and one. To this point, it's all smoke and mirrors. We knew this three-game stretch starting with, uh, you know, the Rams tonight, and then they got home against St. Louis and then at the Titans. I always thought that that stretch was going to expose them. Now, you know, maybe the Bears benefit from Minnesota being a disaster this year. Uh, 
the Lions are three and three, but I don't think the Lions are a very good football team. They're a poorly coached football team too. The Bears have Houston on the schedule. They have Jacksonville on the schedule. So yeah, like the Bears can maybe make the playoffs. And I think that would be cool. Like, I don't want to totally discount a Bears playoff berth because, let's be honest, dude, we just haven't seen it very much our entire lives. Like, me and you can both recall every single Bears playoff game that has happened in our lifetimes. But uh, this team sort of seems like it has no upward mobility. It's like being stuck in a dead-end job Mm -hmm. where, like, sometimes the job is, it's okay. It's, like, paying you enough to, to live. You're not, like living you're not like struggling for money you have insurance you have a relatively stable secure gig but there's no room to grow and you just find yourself wondering like what am i still doing at this job i'm comfortable here but it sucks and i'm never going to accomplish anything in it that's sort of what i feel like watching the bears this year is like there is a standard baseline of competency because the defense is so talented but at the end of the day, like the defense has to play a perfect game for them to win. And it's just not realistic to expect that to happen every time. And we just haven't seen the offense be able to put together full games. We've really only seen the offense click in the fourth quarter of the win against the Lions, the win against the Falcons. Desperation and just, mode. And besides yeah. for that, it's been like league worst level effort which is what we've come to expect from this franchise, right? Like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. These are all problems that are not new to the Chicago Bears. These have been the Bears' problems for, like, three decades plus at this point. You know, since the end of the 85 Super Bowl era, basically the only Bears I've ever known. And it's just like, yeah, like, they're going to be okay if they make the playoffs. I think that would be cool. Maybe they can, like, win a bullshit playoff game since they lost a bullshit playoff game in 2018 on the double doink. If they can win a playoff game, honestly, I think that that would be pretty amazing. Uh, Amazing. But it's just, like, what are you building towards? And what are you really hoping to accomplish with this regime? So that's And it it feels like a dead end. So the word is hope. What are we here to hope for? And when you start to feel the absence of hope, it doesn't matter if you're having success in the moment. And your analogy of the job, you know, I'm just like, this is all good right here, but what am I moving towards is the bigger deal. Look, I don't I don't want to be the Jets. I don't want to be the fucking Cowboys. Good Lord. I, I understand that those are train wrecks and I should appreciate you know, the things that are good about this team. And I, I would like to think that I do. I think it's in some... In some respects, this is difficult because of, you know, seeing certain talent get squandered, seeing what could have been a championship defense get squandered, which is, again, that's about past demons as well. Like, how many times have we seen a championship defense get squandered as Bears fans? And I understand that we have, you know, this entire, like, two generations of Bears fans now that have experienced nothing but uh, ineptitude on the offensive side of the football. But we also... Just in terms of Nagy now, this is two and a half seasons almost into him and, and, you know, the kind of flavor of Bearsdom we get with him. And I just feel like not only is this not – do I not feel hope? I see this getting worse, and it's just a matter of, like you said, how long this is going to be allowed to go on before, you know, we're talking about big changes again. And I think that's the tough part about all this, which is – I think it has to get bad again before it can get 
good, or we before we can even hope for good. They're just so invested though in this current core. Like Mac is under contract for a really long time, and he's making like absolutely superstar money. We all love Khalil Mack. I think like maybe he hasn't fully lived up to the hype since his first year, uh, but he's still been a pretty good player. I mean, it looked like he was going to have a strip sack today. I think Goff's arm was moving forward on that. Uh, but it's just like the Bears basically went all in on this core with the idea that like Mitch would be a rookie scale quarterback. If you could get good production out of mm-hmm. Mitch, of course, that's why you draft him number two overall. You think he's going to be a major asset for the team. Uh, you, it was supposed to be a three-year championship window, this being the third year. Yeah, they went all in on on this team, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. And I do want to bring up, like, we've talked about the Bulls so much. Oh, yeah, we got it. And how, when we do, it's like, well, we just wish the Bulls sometimes could just, like, be the Pacers and, like, not be, like, a literal civic embarrassment to the city of chicago the bears even when they're good still feel like a civic embarrassment right like even when they're winning it's just like is that us though are we broken or are the bears just like so fucking frustrating in a way that just requires this reaction you know what though i feel like i see it on philly twitter like the eagles fans i feel like i feel like philly philly fans understand what we're going through i do because it's bad and then it's good but then it's bad yeah, and it's like the Bears are basically like trying to do the Steelers thing of like throwback football, defense, pass rush, running game. But like the Steelers just do it so much better, and the Bears are just like comically bad at quarterback. Steelers also have like a near Hall of Fame quarterback and Coach. develop wide receivers like in a fucking factory that all of a sudden are game breakers one second into uh, their careers. Claypool sort this of year. Inexplicable. So what we're talking about is what I kind of want to transition to as we finish this up. Because, again, the game, it matters in the larger context. But, like, there was no real competition to speak of. And talking about individual plays and break points in the game, eh, in some respects, I'm like, oh, that's really important. But I think what's more interesting to me, and I hope to the people that are listening to this, is Ryan Pace and, like, what he's built and what happens now. So... I've read reports, you know, I read all the beat writers, this and that, and there was a national beat writer, I don't want to say who it was because I don't actually remember specifically who, but saying that Nagy and Pace are safe for at least this year and next year, right? You're going to get them back next year for sure. So Ryan Pace has done a lot of things good on his watch and a lot of things that previous GMs did poorly, but he'll never be able to live down um, the worst draft pick in recent NFL history um, uh, of picking Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and, and Patrick Mahomes. It's just like, it's one of the worst of all time. And I think the, the sooner that we just verbalize that and say it and repeat it, we can kind of be like, yes, that's what happened. Like it was a catastrophe. We were worried it was, I feel so like when Mitch got benched, I don't know how you felt. I was super relieved totally. man, that it was, that it was over that I didn't have to fucking wish and hope. And, you know, maybe this fourth quarter is the one that le- I just, it was just like a bad relationship that I was like, it hurt for it to be over and to admit it, but it was over and it was time and it was relieving. So, okay. So pace made that decision. He's not the first GM and there've been good ones who've blown a QB pick. Turns out it's really fucking hard. Nevertheless, with all the benefit of hindsight, it looks like a terrible pick. And there were all these things to look at that suggest that it wouldn't have worked out no matter what. Nevertheless, so there's that. The thing that I'm having the hardest time with now is the offensive line. 
And what I think the offensive line is, is like, you know, when you trade away those picks to move up, when you throw them away for little conditional this is and that's, when you select, when you trade for Khalil Mack to push a championship window, it's come home to roost on the offensive line. And in this specific way, Bobby Massey is the fourth highest paid right tackle in the league. It's not because Bobby Massey's really good. It's because most of the league is running with tackles on rookie scale contracts because the few that are like truly great, they get paid 20 to 25 million a year at this point. Like it's a really, really premium position. And there's no way that you can outfit an entire line with premium veteran salaries. You need to have rookies in there all the time. You need to have uh, rookie scale contracts to fill that out. And so Nagy has... I'm sorry, not Nagy. I just can't. Pace. He's like in my head now. Pace has has constructed a line that he's like, cool, I'll draft the interior because that's what we need to build. So I got Kyle Long. I got to hang my hat on that, and that's cool. I'm going to get Cody Whitehair and lauded for the Cody Whitehair pick. And I like Cody Whitehair. He's a good – he's a good and occasionally very good center. Would be better as a guard. We don't have to go back in and re-legislate all that. I liked James Daniels this year. He showed development. He's still super young. There's a lot of talent there. And uh, when the Bears were running the ball well the first couple of games, all the films suggested that he had a lot to do with it. Out for the year, that's a bummer. The tackles. Charles Leno is kind of like, I think we've all kind of landed on, oh, he's below average. He's a below average uh, left tackle. And he capitalized on a really good year of being clean in his protections and keeping the flags low and not getting exposed too much uh, and being aided by the RPO run game and, and Mitch Trubisky's legs uh, as being like, maybe he's a good left tackle. The truth is he's a seventh rounder from the previous regime that pace was like, Oh, cool, cool. He's there. He's good. Let's get him a little bit of money. And then we can move on to get all these other cool pieces that I want to work on and trade picks away. So you're looking at an offensive line now that's been bereft of picks. There's third rounders and fourth rounders and even first rounders, if you look at the Khalil Mack pick, that should have been filling out that line. So there are multiple guys on rookie scale contracts with talent and depth that you can develop over time. So when somebody goes down, it's not, oh, it's Jermaine Effetti one-year deal. Or no, it's not Rashard Coward, a converted defensive lineman that has no business playing on the left side of the line because he's never played it before last week. The Bears have put themselves in a position where there's no depth whatsoever. And all the good teams I see in football, and I mean all of them, have wonderful offensive lines. It feels like at this point an even more critical building block than a quarterback because there are 20 good quarterbacks in the league all of a sudden. It just feels like, yeah, you don't have to have an amazing one, but there's plenty of really good ones out there if you have an offensive line to make it happen. The offensive line is a gigantic problem. I mean, if you're talking about the biggest problems facing the Bears today, I think it starts with coaching. And then it's probably the offensive line. And then obviously the quarterback play, you know, you don't want to blame it all on Foles. I think that would be totally unfair. Uh, Certainly he does provide like a level of baseline competency that, uh, you know, they haven't had too often, but obviously like there's a ocean of room for improvement in the Bears quarterback play. And the very same can be said about the offensive line. I mean, I think you nailed it just in terms of how they've allocated their assets in the cost of that allocation has hurt them on the line. 
Uh, it's just like how the NFL salary cap works too, right? Like you really sort of need to piece it together. You need to get luck. You need all these windows to align. That's why it's like the Super Bowl is so gratifying. I can only imagine. I've never seen my yeah, favorite team I would win think one. it might be gratifying. I've never sniffed the goddamn right. thing since I was five. Uh, but it's like all these windows need to align to make it happen. And when the Bears botched a couple things – most notably the Trubisky pick. I mean, really, what else is there? And then, like, maybe their head coaching hire and maybe the uh, Anthony Miller pick and, you know, some of these offensive line signings. Yeah, it just all falls falls apart, and that's why it's very hard to win. But the O-line is a, just a gigantic issue. And, you know, you wonder if Kyle Long didn't have, like, career-ending injuries. Like, what would you know, uh, all pro Kyle Long still look like on this offensive line. Mm. They need like an impact level guard. I feel like so bad a road grading, physical presence, uh, guard or left tackle for goddamn sake. Just like, like a mauler, right? Like they don't have any sort of physical road grading nothing. presence on the offensive nope. line. And I think James Daniels is the closest you'll get to that. And I don't even see him that way. He's just really athletic. And then, I think the ESPN broadcast team was talking about their conversations with Aaron Donald coming into the game. And is our boy's name Effende? Is that his name who started a guard for us tonight? Uh, Effetti, yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess Effetti is a converted tackle. And Donald was like, yeah, I watched him at guard, and he just looks uncomfortable. It's like, you know, a shark smelling blood in the water. It's like, you're never going to have a chance. And yeah, Effetti's only in there because of, you know— injuries and just like uh some bad luck on the bears party wasn't supposed to start the start the season in that position but uh you just don't even have a chance to win when you have these gaping holes and it just seems like the bears roster just has so many gaping holes in it the wait is finally over football is back i mean it's been back for a while but now it's extra back you might not be at a game this year, although you might. They just keep rolling them in there every week. There seems to be 2,000 more people sneaking in. But you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Sorry, tangent. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. You can be like me, where you bet a four-team teaser and feel awesome about it and win the first three games and then unknowingly Aaron Rodgers shits the bed against the Buccaneers and your teaser dies again and you live to play another day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I I do feel like Lucy with the football sometimes, where at the beginning of the, of the season it was like, yeah, 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 really the same line, but we really think Juan Castillo is going to be able to change it up. It was how I felt about... I'm like, I just, I'm sitting there. I'm, you know, I'm 41 years old and I'm going like, yep, yep, yep. Like, that's not perfect, but that, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. They like, it's a coaching issue. It's a coaching issue. Meanwhile, Harry Highstand is one of the most celebrated uh, offensive line coaches in all of football, but you know, that's neither here nor there, but somehow I was like, yeah, yeah, that could, 
okay, that could work. And it's the same way I felt, same reaction I had to Devin Hester could be a number one wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, uh, Jordan Howard was the reason the run game didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I just, year after year, me saying, yeah, yeah, uh, trying to talk myself, you know, into these things because I'm a homer that wants my team to succeed. And just seeing it play out the way it has. I, I There's a lot of picks that I see and a lot of players, you know, that are on the Bears that I'm like, that's a good pick. Like, a lot of teams really could have messed that up. I think keeping Kyle Fuller uh, was this critical decision. Totally. And, and now he's like, you know, an all-time franchise cornerback at this point. Khalil Mack, you could say here or there, he was certainly the straw that stirs the drink. But in terms of salary, in terms of uh, what it costs to bring him over, you know, at this point, because the Bears aren't a championship team and aren't going to be a championship team during his, you know, his prime with the team, you're like, is that uh, were those assets poorly spent? I think that's more about, um, you know, the rest of the team than it is about max sure. success. But, you know, Akeem Hicks, wonderful signing. Eddie Jackson is like, you know, uh, really is reaching up there with Mike Brown for my all-time safety love for the Bears. Uh, but, like, if you just look at the first-round picks that this uh, franchise has spent. So, I don't know how you feel about Roquan. I kind of feel like, man, this should be better than it is. Totally. I see I see the flashes occasionally, but he's just yet another inconsistent Bears player. Uh, Anthony Miller, he's the Mitch Trubisky of wide receivers. You know, one am- amazing flash play include, is around three drops and two poorly run routes. Um, Leonard Floyd plays for another team now. Uh, that was a, a, another pick that was traded up for. Cody Whitehair... It's weirdly plateaued at this point in his career. I thought he would be better because he was so good early on, and now it kind of feels like, nah, he's just going to be kind of good, and that's about it. James Daniels, injured this year, liked his development, still something to see there, and still some projection in place, but I don't know. He's very Um, young. I feel okay about I feel pretty good about him moving forward. Of all the picks, I feel pretty good about him, and then there's the two that the Bears didn't get uh, that went to the Raiders. So... Uh, I remember when Angelo was fired or let go or retired or whatever they did, re, you know, reorged, whatever the Bears did to send him off, uh, you know, to pasture, that it was about the Bears hitting on their first and second round picks. Uh, and, you know, it was something they had to do to get the roster back where it needs to be. The Bears have hit a none. They've, like, none. There have been none where you're like, home run, buddy, from the quarterbacks to the offensive linemen selected, to the wide receivers selected, to the defensive players selected. Like, you know, some – like, Bill Belichick can't pick a wide receiver. I don't know why. It's like his Achilles heel, and he, it's the only thing that he can't do. He just can't pick a wide receiver. Uh, the Bears can't draft anyone good early. It's always, a four, you know – Tariq Cohen and Eddie Jackson in the fourth round or Darnell Mooney or, you know, Johnny Knox or, you know, it's always these late round picks or Charles Leno, like a seventh rounder that becomes, you know, a starting left tackle in the league. I don't know what it is, man. Like we're destined, no matter the regime, no matter who's in control, to have a great defense, uh, occasionally good special teams, the worst offense in football. No good first or second round picks and wonderful late round picks. And I don't know what that makes fandom for this kind of franchise. Yeah, was I was trying to remember, was Kyle Fuller a pace pick or an Emery pick? He was an Emery pick. He was the last Emery pick then. Yep. Uh, yep, yep and yep. Fuller looked really bad for the first three years. And now I kind of think like he's a stud. Like the Bears yeah. have three star level players on the defense with Mac, Akeem Hicks, and Fuller. And I feel like Eddie Jackson. 
in and then Jackson I feel like is maybe a little step below them, but he's also really good, like, you know, yeah, potential yeah. Pro Bowl type performer. Those are good pieces. Very good pieces, those four. Uh but then yeah, like you said, I mean it's just been way too many misses and uh it's the thing with Pace is like I, I always see the the chatter on Twitter and stuff, it's like, is Ryan Pace the worst GM in the league? It's like, dude, he found Akeem no. Hicks. No. I mean, uh, what I think uh, Pace's problem is, though, is I feel like he gets a little too, like, passionate about certain guys. I mean, the trade-up for Mitch is a perfect the example. Thing, uh, right? And, like, he needs some humility. <laughs> like, I think he needs some humility as a general manager. And I say this as someone who's been writing about the NBA draft for you know six seven years at this point and like at the end of the day you're just gonna be right about some stuff and wrong about some stuff so like maybe you shouldn't just like have a gigantic crush on one person in the draft or one person you know like like mac where you want to cash in all your draft picks and instead just like play more of a long game like you know the patriots are the classic example where they'll draft a young guy he looks good they flip them for more picks. They trade back, get more picks with those, and then just get more bites at the apple and eventually find something. I feel like the Bears are the opposite, where they play this like, you know, we're going to go all in on Anthony Miller. We're going to go all in on Mitch Trubisky. And you just don't give yourself any margin for error if that doesn't work out. And then you also personally look very stupid. It's like such a high-risk, high-reward type of management style and... Yeah, I feel like uh, we need some more humility in the Chicago Bears front office. I don't know what you think about that. I I like agree with everything you just said. You know, full stop. Full stop. Uh, I it's not the selections he's made. It's the the paying up in not just draft picks, but so many free agent signings. And we could point to all of Pace's free agent signings where he's just like, "Here's a fucking boatload of cash to you, sir," uh, and their league being like. That was a lot of money to give that guy. Jimmy Graham is the contract this year. And because the Bears so desperately needed, you know, a red zone threat and a tight end, a pass catching tight end, he looks like he's going to hit, but he's still getting paid like three times more than anybody else in the league was offering him. And I do feel like that's this constant thing. Meanwhile, Allen Robinson can't get paid for one reason or another. And I can't quite figure that out. He, I guess it's because the Bears think they're going to just do the franchise tag on him next year and, uh, that's what they've already earmarked for him. They don't want to go long-term. I don't understand why. If I was Allen Robinson, I'd be really, really working on getting my way out of town because, my God, not only is he misused, he gets blown up all the time because everybody's sitting on the routes that he, they know that he's about to run because it's the only one he's asked to run. Like, seeing Allen Robinson catch a deep ball today, I was like, oh, Allen Robinson can run a deep route. I didn't know that was I didn't know that was in his route tree anymore. I thought that was a Dar- Darnell Mooney thing. Like, Darnell Mooney runs the fly, and uh, Miller runs the deep over, and Allen Robinson runs the curl route. That's the tree, right? That's what this offense is. So, uh, go ahead. What did Musid Muhammad once say? He gave the most enlightening Bears quote of all time. He said, this place is where wide receivers go to die die (laughs) maybe maybe that's it maybe it's it's not just it's that it's like beautiful truthfulness you know you don't hear just raw truth like that yeah every now and then you hear a quote you're like yes that is the truth it resonates on every level every molecule of my soul i i think the reason why this is so bad for me and why 
we can't help but really just kind of get into it week in, week out and complain is because this is indicative of all the pain I've experienced in my life. Like, it's one thing to be in a relationship with a girl and be like, man, we fight or, you know, it's not working out. Right. We can't really align on this. But if she's doing the thing that the last three heartbreaks of your life did, it's going to be mega fucking painful and you're going to want to run from it as quickly as possible. And I think that's what it is. It's an outclass GM. It's a head underwater coach. It's an offensive line that can't block. It's a quarterback that can't get it done. It's an offensive system that's completely known on all levels around the league and a defense that if only they had one load-bearing wall on their shit house of offense, they might be able to compete for something. It's every Bears team I've ever known, bro. Absolutely. Same problems year after year. And like I said, this time around, they can't run the ball. So at least we usually have that to fall back on. We don't have it this year. I know. Uh, we get up, What do we get off the bus doing, bro? Uh, what does this Bears team get uh, off the bus doing? Shitting their pants? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, they get they get off the bus <laughs> hoping to be down 15 in the fourth quarter so they can come up with some uh, bullshit and try to win. We get off the bus handing off on a toss sweep to Cordero Patterson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I got one thing I want to talk about, though, before we wrap this up. I don't know if please, you have another please, segment. Please, please, We're going to transition to the Bulls just to give us something sweet before we well, leave. Well, I was going to give us something sweet, too. So there was one good – well, there were two good Bears-related related things that happened today. The first one was when Foles threw that, like, totally back-breaking interception, the first interception in the end zone. The first one, yeah, yeah, Tariq yeah, yeah. Cohen just tweeted, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that loss was worth it for the tweet. God like, bless Tariq Cohen, Tariq, man. I love I've always kid. thought he's had a dope personality. And then he just, yeah. like, really hit you with the payoff right there. Like, yeah. you are all of us, Tariq Cohen. Yeah. Fuck. All right, the second thing that was great was a story that ran in the Ottawa Sun today before the game interviewing Akeem Hicks. I'm sure you saw this, Zach. I just have the screenshot from Ross Tucker. I'm going to read it out loud. This is Akeem Hicks reminiscing on his college days. I don't really know how to pronounce the college. I believe it's Regina or something like that in Canada. Uh, Regina. Regina. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to say Yeah, but you don't want to say that because it rhymes. Yeah, Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So I'm going to read this little section from the Ottawa Sun today. Quote, Akeem Hicks, 50 cent wing night. Hicks answered with a hearty laugh. (laughs) 50 cent wing night with the boys. We had an all day owl. The owl was the campus bar. We would go there at noon and we would drink until there was one guy left. And the guy who lasted the longest one. I drank one day. I drank 40 beers. What? 40? Come on. I, I've never drank that many beers in my life, Hicks said, but those Canadians got me going, and man, the drinking age was 19, so we had guys, oh, maybe this shouldn't be part of the article, we had a good time, man, we had a really <laughs> good time. 40 beers, dude? Wade Boggs ain't shit. I don't remember how many Wade Boggs drank off the top of my head, but did he, did he can 40? I don't think he canned 40. 40 I think is insane. Good. 40 beers? I mean, maybe they were like Natty Lights. Those are just stadium waters, right? I have a feeling it was like Molson, and I have all the more respect for him in the world. By the way, uh, God bless Monday Night Football. They reported that right. on the broadcast So sick. Today. Yeah, that was great. They're like, hey, this guy drank 40 beers. Anyways, kids, this has been sponsored by Miller Lite. Uh, please go out and uh, you know drink responsibly. But like, I feel uh, like you know everyone's got a story of, yeah, in college, this 
guy drank an entire case. I remember when it happened when I was in college. My friend Pete drank an entire case of Miller Lite. We thought he was the greatest person ever. In hindsight, he was a stupid, very drunk college kid. But Hicks drank like twice as many. He drank 40 beers. We're not glorifying binge drinking on this podcast. Yeah, a little bit. All it's we're okay. saying, well, I binge drink all the time, so sure. All <laughs> we're saying, though, is that like this is a remarkable feat of human accomplishment. Yes, he's 350 pounds and he's like conditioned like a professional athlete, but goddamn, man, 40 beers. Salute, Akeem Hicks. I also love, and you know, I, I tread carefully in these woke times, but like one of my favorite Dave Chappelle bits was like, the thing about white guys is they can't wait to tell you how much they drank last night. <laughs> I, I had four beers, uh, two Jaegers, uh, two whiskeys, uh, vodka. And I just love that it's a universal experience of reporting how much you had. So God bless you, Akeem Hicks. You, Tariq. Uh, I do love a lot of the personalities on this Bears team. I really, really do. Like the, the Bears, you know, criticize Nagy as much as you want to and we will and pace but like that no turds rule is really dope I really like that and there's not a guy on the team that I don't like I think Jimmy Graham is the one guy where I'm like eh, but he's been kind, kind of feel... better than expected is yeah it I mean the play the play is certainly good uh he doesn't block anything ever I mean he just and he runs these like kind of like yeah oh, maybe I'll go over here routes so I, I can feel myself like I I I like the play and I'm glad it's there, but I don't like them. I, I don't know. I can't explain it any better than that. I, I know that this team needed some confidence and red zone confidence and some swagger. And he certainly brings that, but I kind of like secretly don't like him. I don't I, I want Cole Komet to be Travis Kelsey ASAP. Like I, I just feel like, and we'll, we'll kind of close on this little bit, having those two catches and having all of Twitter go like, yes, finally. And then him never seeing the ball again, ever again, the rest of the game is the biggest indictment of all of them. Like, Jimmy Graham, good. Demetrius Harris never needs to see the field again. He is a special teams player. I That is what he is for. Maybe you have a package where it's like 13 personnel and you need a third tight end. Lovely. I don't, I don't get it. Like, Cole Komet is good at blocking. They say that he can digest the whole playbook. He made plays all through training camp. How about they just roll it out there and let this kid have five, ten catches, five, six catches a game, right? How bad were the other seven tight ends that they cut if they're keeping Demetrius Uh, Harris when he's averaging like two drops a game? They signed him in the offseason, by the way. It wasn't just like kept him. They got him. They moved to get him. I think J.P. Holtz is the only one that's still here from last year. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Trey Burton, healthy, making plays all over the place for the Indianapolis Colts right now. Not for nothing. So uh, the excuse factory continues. Uh, the blame moves around like the eye of, you know, Sauron from all of us fans and bloggers and Twitter spearers and national reporters keeps moving around. There's nowhere left for it to go but to shine off the shiny bald head of Matt Nagy in his visor. It's going to start and end there. And when that ends, it will shift up the ladder to Ryan Pace and what he has built. It's good, not great. And the Bears are unfortunately in the situation now where they look to be a 7-9 and nine to 9-7 nine and seven team for the foreseeable future until these guys age out, get too expensive, and they need to roll the roster over. Uh, and we'll just see what kind of assets they have to rebuild the team. And that, that shit's going to be painful, though, bro. Like, painful. those rebuilds are not fun to go through. Bears went through that with John Fox. I could barely even watch the games then. Like, I Dude. sort of, like, tapped out of 
not Bears fandom, but of like living and dying with the team it. during those years because there was just nothing that was happening for us. Uh, you didn't want to sit down and watch Matt Barkley play on a Sunday no, afternoon, exactly. bro? Exactly. Yeah, it was terrible. Uh, and then, uh, you know, this team, they're like all in, but like there's no ceiling. There's no upward mobility. It's a dead end. So, you know. All in to a first round playoff. You know what, Let's dude? Make it. make the playoffs, though. I want to see the Bears make the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I do not want to see them, uh, you know, go 8-8 eight and eight, or, you know, even if, like, maybe Nagy gets fired if they go 8-8 eight and eight after a bad start. I don't think that's going to happen anyway. So let's make the playoffs. There haven't been enough Bears playoff games in our lifetimes. Make the playoffs, and then, like, maybe you can win a bullshit game because, I don't know, looking around at the rest of the NFC, if you get a favorable matchup, we thought the Rams, you know, in previous years were a favorable matchup for the Bears. Well, apparently not anymore because there was no doubt who the more talented and better coached, more disciplined football team was tonight. But, you know, maybe the Bears can get themselves a decent matchup, win a playoff game. That would be amazing if they could do that. And that is sort of the best we could hope for. Even winning a first-round playoff game seems like that would like be my Super Bowl if the Bears could do yeah, that. Yeah, that's this that's year. that's a tall order right there. That is the like other teams go for you know the the Fiesta Bowl or the Tostitos Bowl. I want the Holiday Bowl, baby. Like bring me in on that. Like uh, we almost got to a New Year's Day game kind yeah, of. Yeah, GoDaddy.com. We're like right there. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, Chunky's Clam Chowder Soup Bowl. I'm, I'm super in on that. Let's definitely do that. Uh, one. All right, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. One more. I got one more for you. Oh. oh Is yeah, there yeah, any chance they beat the Saints next week? Like, what, what What level of chance? Like, you know, 0% to 100%. Where is your confidence level at right now that they beat the Saints? And, you know, you can take a minute, get composed. Yes, this was a very, very bad loss for the Bears against the Rams. Uh, Here's a real question. Is it in Saintsville or is it in Bearsville? It's in Chicago. Hmm. But does that matter with no fans? It does. It does. Drew, Drew, Drew Brees outside on that like yeah, grass. Okay. I just have better I have better memories of him just kind of being fucky uh, in that situation sure. versus seeing the Bears in the white jerseys on the indoor track and that just like it's like slightly more terrifying to me. Uh, in, in addition, I really want to know if Michael Thomas is going to punch a teammate and or, you know, heal from an ankle sprain before that game kicks off. If he comes back, I'm uh, much more worried. My first round but fantasy the Bears can't... pick, bro. Oh, nothing sorry. Sorry. That's not fun. Uh, I, I have I'm having pre nightmares. What are those like? I'm having waking nightmares of the of the Bears trying to tackle Alvin Kamara on like a three yard pass and watching him weave sixty seven yards to pay dirt. Like I can already kind of see that coming. Um, I do think, and we saw it with uh, uh, TB four, which is what I've renamed Tom Brady since he held up his hand and uh, can count Perfect. to four. Uh, when TB four got rattled, I was like, hmm. All right, old guys that sit in the pocket. If we can get pressure, if we can get push, which the Bears do have a really talented front four, uh, then that kind of changes the game a little bit. I say that, although, like, if anybody's been more of a pants shitter than Jared Goff, uh, I really haven't seen them, and he he looked pretty good tonight. I think a lot of that was scheme and having him run away from pressure and having, like, a really good, you know, game plan put together so that, you know, we couldn't do what we usually do to him, which is just crush the pocket and give him nowhere to go and watch him turtle. But if Drew Brees gets pressured, uh, he he looks he, he does not look as good as he used to. And because the Bears run a bend, don't break kind of defense 
and they and the Saints are going to have to you know have a multiple play defense to get down the field. You're just one sack or you know one penalty away from pushing them behind the sticks and getting off the field. Uh, so I feel good about that, bro. Offensively, I mean, uh, let let us not waste too much more time. I will say that when it was Teddy Two Gloves in Chicago last year and the Saints were a better team then, especially on defense. Yo, it wasn't even close. It wasn't a competition. The Saints ruined us last year. So I still have that kind of freshly in mind. I'd put my confidence level at like 37%. Yeah, I was going to say I feel it's like they have a one-third chance to win and <laughs> two-thirds chance to lose. Uh, yeah. And absolutely, I totally agree with you that the fact that this game isn't in a dome is a big benefit for the Bears. It's going to be a Fox game, a late afternoon game. Uh... If they could get that win, dude, I mean, that would be, like, a huge win in terms of, like, the big picture and trying to get into the playoffs. Like, the, the big picture of, of this two. season. Not like Yeah, they can't go 0-3 against these good teams. They can't be, you know, this uh, Bulls, you know, 2-33 and against, like, above 500 teams. They can't do it. They've had all this good fortune in the early season, and everybody's like, oh, they're not that good. And we've all agreed, but this is an opportunity. Like, 5-1 and one is a great opportunity. Like the NFL doesn't give you that, you know, you, you, you need luck to win some of these games and the bears have had their share and your share and my share. They've had everyone's share so far. So to like, to waste this wonderful run of luck, uh, would be just such a shame. The position they put themselves in with, you know, uh, whatever it is, nine games to go still in the season. All they have to do is be a 500 football team and you're in the playoffs. And bro, I cannot pre tell you how like pre terrified I am of the Bears Packers games this year. I, week 17, the man. The Packers, you know that that yeah, is going to like week determine 17 the season. game. I like my feelings are pre fucking hurt for that one. I know it's going to break my heart. I the the hope is that we can beat the Saints and or the Titans next week uh, and the week after so that. Week 17 isn't this critical must win against Aaron Rodgers. Oh, my God. It You know, it's just I, Chris Conte blowing a coverage. Uh, it just <sighs> the demons, man. The demons are strong with this. Yeah. One. And then, like, just looking at the schedule, though. All right. I'm counting wins here, right? We're going to go Vikings week 10. That's a win. That gets you to six. We own the Vikings. I will say that. Uh, but can they beat the Vikings twice? I guess is the big question. But Nagy never loses to the Vikings, right? I know. I think he's 4-0. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, beat the Vikings. That's six. Then you got Green Bay. We're going to skip that one. Detroit again. We're saying seven there. That's at home. Houston at home. I'm saying eight. At Vikings. Let's go nine. J- at Jacksonville, ten. So that's with two losses to Green Bay, but you would need two wins against Minnesota. You need to beat Detroit again, and then you're taking care of business against teams like Jacksonville. So run the table against the rest of the division. Yeah, but not factoring the Packers. Like the Packers, right, right. Packers aside, running the table against the other two teams, and then beating Deshaun Watson, who's going to be coming for motherfucking revenge. I know they're a mess, and Romeo Cornell and. Their defense is I laughed so hard when I found out Romeo Cornell was their coach now. Dude, he's older than my grandfather, and he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. Let yeah, that be I the mean... audio clip that we tease the podcast with. <laughs> Look ahead to next week. Oh, my God, man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Again, there are tire fires. Uh, the Bears are not that. They're, they're 
purgatory. They're, they're, it, the, the real concern is that this is going to be a long, slow fade into oblivion, not, oh my God, this is embarrassing week in, week out. I, I need to not watch this team for a Though while. Though it was embarrassing that. tonight. Let's be clear about that. Very embarrassing. Very, very, very embarrassing. And, and the final score doesn't reflect how embarrassing it was. Like, that the, the, you know, the foot came off the gas for the Rams once they had it in hand, and the Bears got a touchdown from the defense that was after this thing was already decided. Like, it, it, it's more like a 30-3 to three kind of game. I, I, I mean – Totally. This third, this third quarter drive. I, we we can't keep doing it. Like this third quarter drive where the Bears are marching down the field, and then Nagy calls a play. It's a double covered play to the corner, and then Foles just chucks it there on a second down. I, I was just like, why are why do I do this? Why do I care? Why do you, why do you hurt me so much? Why can't I just enjoy like a fun? What would like a fun offense feel like? It, save for maybe three stretches in my life when Alshon Jeffrey had these like weird sticky hands that like would catch anything and he hold it over his head and the other, like the defender couldn't reach it. That was a lovely offensive moment in my life. Matt Forte was lovely. Uh, just really, really enjoyed him. Uh, leave Walter, leave all that stuff behind. Cause we can't, can't be talking about things that happened, you know, literally 40 years ago. Um, other fun offensive moments. Uh, Brandon Marshall was fun for a season. Uh, we got a couple of Alshon games I enjoyed, but man, did that yeah, Alshon, end badly. There was like a, an unbelievable year from Alshon, and then some like the, the the ouchies started showing up. But when he was on the field, he was good. Uh yeah. Who am I forgetting, man? Like what? Marty B. Great... Marty Booker. Marty Bennett. <laughs> I mean, Marcus Robinson. No, no, there was no like stretch where I was like, yeah, we just didn't have that. We just did not. I mean, Marty Bennett was goodish for a second. There was nothing in the Cutler era. There was like a Cutler game where I was like, whoa, baby, like it's all happening now. And I've gone back and looked at some of those old games too, man. He was running for his life all the time. He was always fighting uphill. Uh, He didn't have help, you know, on the offensive line. He didn't have help in play calling. So it was the same thing. Like, Let's just leave it here. There are three load-bearing walls on offense. There is your offensive line, there's your quarterback, and there's your coaching play design, right? And the Bears have never had more than one, ever, ever. It's it's When they ran the ball, it was because the scheme was good and because that was the nature of the NFL at the time they could do that. If they had a decent quarterback, they didn't have a run game, and they certainly didn't have fucking play callers. Uh, or a coach that knew what he was doing. It's never been just this thing where it's like, wow, we've got continuity. This coach ain't going anywhere, and this quarterback knows how to get it done. And the offensive line, ah, we can work with that. Or we got this absolute shit kicker of an offensive line, and we got a good coaching staff, and we got a decent game manager of a quarterback. Like We just don't have that experience. And it feels like at this point, like as old as we are and as many seasons as we've watched, we would have lucked into it and been 5-1, and one, so to speak, in our own little Bears fandom lives once. So uh, I continue to hope for that. In the meantime, go fucking Bears. They're 5-2. 5-2, not so bad. No, not bad at all with a big game next week against the Saints where, you know, I think pride is going to come into this. Less for Nagy, more for the offensive players, please. Uh, tired of Nagy uh, thinking he's smarter than everybody in the room and having it shown to him again and again that he's not. But I think we are going to see another concerted effort to come back to, um, you know, make the best of what's already been a good season so far and kind of like 
fix their rep a little bit because it's going to be absolutely flayed in the radio radio sphere, Twitter sphere, internet sphere, all the spheres for uh, for the next seven days. So it's not going to be a fun time. It's going to be a tough stretch, too. Like we said, New Orleans next. You would love to win that game. And then you're at Tennessee. I want to say the Titans are kind of my AFC team because I love watching Derrick Henry. I like the Chargers, too, though. Chargers Chargers. are fun, too, for sure. Herbert's been awesome to watch. Uh, Derrick Henry's just Derrick Henry. Oh, my God. He's like, I've never seen anyone. Like, he's got these huge, long legs, and he's just hunting for someone to, like, put a hand on and throw in the next week. Uh, It's amazing. I can't can't get enough of it. And it's great because it's so, like, against the trends, right? Like, in today's day and age, the Bears would have never drafted Walter Payton at number four overall. And then they never would have, like, re-signed him, and he never would have been the featured piece of the offense everyone to be like oh you can't pay a running back all that money when you're trying to re-sign Walter Payton but it's like Henry is a throwback to the days when the running back was as important as the quarterback it feels like like he's like a legitimate game-changing star on offense who's a running back he's there's so just like imposing. not that many of those so like one thing for a running back but for a player to imprint identity on a team but the offense or defense, like Khalil Mack imposes identity on the Bears, right? Like he just – there's this like hardcore no excuses flavor to him that I do feel like touches the players around totally. him. And I, I feel like say what you will about a running back's value and contract value and all that kind of stuff, which is totally true. It's a fungible asset at this point in the NFL. But Derrick Henry isn't just a running back. He creates fear for the defense. And like – Come the third quarter, when he's coming around the edge, DBs are like, nope, nope, I'm not going to – first of all, I don't want to get hit. And second of all, I don't want to get, like, screen-grabbed and memed, you know, till the end of time. Like, Josh Norman already got clowned a lot, but getting thrown out of bounds by a guy who was carrying a ball in the other arm was had to be one of the more embarrassing professional moments of his life. And you could just see guys avoiding it. So Derrick Henry is ascended to a plane beyond what a running back is – uh, and I think it's really, really fun to see. Like, I, I've i never really seen anything quite like him. Then you got, like, Ezekiel Elliott, who was a fourth pick. But he's, like, kind of weird. I don't know how to put it. Like, he's I don't had know a terrible guy, year this year. Terrible year, and the vibes are strange. And, like, he hasn't been good, you know, post-COVID. I'm not saying that's related in any sort of way. But, like, he doesn't imprint identity on the team. It was the offensive line, and then he, like, weirdly would hike up his jersey and, you know, scoop food in his mouth, and that was kind of his thing. But he was really, really good at it. But worthy of a second contract, worthy of pricing yourself out of your cornerbacks and making it difficult to sign your really, really good quarterback who's now injured. Like, the Cowboys are... I think the Cowboys are in a worse situation than the Bears, given that Mike McCarthy is their brand new coach, who doesn't seem like anybody likes. Mike Nolan is their defensive coordinator who doesn't know how to play. They've got all these overpaid dudes that uh, don't want to, you know, put the effort in their, their star quarterback is, has a horrible injury. I felt awful about seeing that their offensive line is in tatters. Like that's a franchise that's going to fade into oblivion over many more years. than the bears who have this year and maybe next year, uh, and if there's not dramatic changes in terms of the way they play, especially on offense, I think we're going to see dramatic changes in the people who are making those decisions. Uh, like the worry, I think though, for us is that like the Bears could be the Cowboys in the near future. Like 2018, the Cowboys were 10 and six. Last year, the Cowboys were eight and eight, and now it's like, well, the bottom fell out, 
And what we thought was a competitive football team is no more, and now they still have all these long contracts. And I think that that's what we're worried about the Bears perhaps becoming uh, in, like, sort of the next couple of years. But, you know, for now, that's not what we're talking about. We're still talking about the Bears. Five and two, having enough winnable games on the schedule to realistically have a 10 and six season, which mm-hmm. pretty solid. And then, you know, you see what happens, I guess. Uh, but it does feel like there's a hard cap, even on the best case scenario for this Bears team. And it feels like, you know, the bottom falling out is just going to happen at a certain point because they have veterans locked into long, long-term deals. And because quite frankly, they're poorly coached. Yeah. I, look, the off, off season is pretty clear. If, if I'm Ryan Pace, I've already got it written down on a note card and it is, Relieve Matt Nagy of, of play-calling duties, whether it's Bill Lazor or somebody else that takes that, that job from him. It's too much for him. He needs to manage other parts of the game. He can be on the headset, but he's not the one calling the plays. So that's number one. Nick Foles is your starting quarterback. You need to find a backup quarterback that's either a draft pick or somebody else that's you know a veteran minimum, a Fitzpatrick, or what have you. But make sure there's another option there because Foles will get hurt. You can't have that be the only thing. Spend your first uh, first round pick on an offensive lineman, best one available, whether it's a guard or a tackle, and then spend free agent money, which you're going to have because a lot of these guys are going to graduate out of contract on another offensive lineman. I think that's the best way forward for this team, and they're going to have other needs. There's going to be other things, but like they need two new pieces on that offensive line. Charles Leno got to go. He got to go tomorrow. It's not because he's a bad dude. It's because he cannot get the job done in the pass game, and he extra can't get the job done in the run game. And then you're going to have James Daniels, Cody Whitehair. Those guys are young, second con- well, for a rookie contract and a second contract guy. You need a right guard, and you need it tomorrow. And then Bobby Massey, I guess by default, sticks around because his contract runs longer, more dedicated money, and you can't replace them all in one season. So that's it like you need to totally rehab that position group as they rehab the tight end group this year as they rehab what did they rehab the other year before the running back group and the goddamn kicking group we're just going at this one at a time so next year <laughs> it's the o-line room we got to rehab that one we're just like remodeling a house one room at a time yeah and i'm listening to all you to you say this and i'm like well are they gonna bring back Allen robinson and like they still probably need like i would love to see them have another tall receiver it feels like Miller, like, are you really going to go into another season with Miller as your number two? Like, give yourself... Oh, he's not. He's already the number three. It's it's Darnell Mooney. My feeling is not to cut Mooney's more of a three to me, though, but... I would agree that he's more of a speed slot kind of guy, but they kind of see him as this, you know, number two guy. But either way, dude, like, it doesn't matter who the wide receiver... Julio Jones could come over right now and because of play design and because the quarterback doesn't have time, it's sort of a wasted asset. Meanwhile, they spent a second on Miller, a fifth on Mooney, a fourth on Riley Ridley, who we don't never, even know what he looks never like. Never the field. Because he's inactive. Javon Wims is still in there and I think is still a good possession receiver who never sees the ball. It never is going to come down to him. You have Cole Komet, who needs to be go up in targets, not down. Honestly, at this point, the way they've spent their money... And not in terms of what a guy deserves or anything else, but like it, again, putting myself in the pace position, I am franchising Allen Robinson uh, this offseason. Like in either that or trading him, because he, despite the fact that he's a number one, that he's a top class guy, a locker room guy, and getting rid of him would hurt the the coaching and GM uh, standing in the locker room. That's a guy who deserves to get paid. 
But uh, given what you need to rebuild in order to be competitive and make this team better than it is, you can't be sitting around signing a giant contract for that wide receiver. It's not because he doesn't deserve it. It's because your needs are elsewhere. They're already up against the cap, and a number of these guys are going to be out of contract. Like, I think they might lose Roy Robertson-Harris this offseason. Don't quote me on that, but I think this is his last year before he reaches free agency. Uh, you know, what are they going to do with Danny Trevathan? There's no, there's really no depth at inside linebacker. It, it, Iggy, like we lost White Nick. We lost uh, all those, like we had like three really good backup inside linebackers last year, and they're all on other teams now. Um, you know, cornerback depth. Like you could just kind of go up and down the list. There's no other nickel corner that they've been working on that they believe in. So you kind of just go through things and you're like, yeah, I'd love to pay you, Alan, but um, we got to put other guys first. And that sucks because he's one of the leaders of the team. <sighs> you know, Good times. let's uh... finish. Give me some, give me some bull stuff. Give everybody some bull stuff. So, you know, for those of you who, who haven't listened to Ricky before, he's uh, a writer for SB Nation and covers college basketball, prep basketball, and has a better idea of what's going on uh, in terms of the NBA draft and what guys are coming up and who the uh, Bulls should be selecting than just about anybody out there. And so after years of, you know, desperately working to get Gar and, and Paxson fired or moved on or whatever, it's happened. There's a regime that, at least from my point of view, seems like one to believe in and one that you should, we should actually be excited to see what what it is they do. Thoughtful in their process, good signing so far, a real like actual NBA head coach now coaches the Chicago Bulls. Who should they draft here in three weeks? Yeah, I like Killian Hayes. I guess my top three picks for the Bulls at number four would be Killian Hayes, Isaac Okoro, and Devin Vassell, I think in that order. Uh, certainly you should entertain trading up or down depending on what the value is. If it's only going to cost you like Thad Young and four and a second round pick to the Warriors, if they want to move back a couple spots, still get their guy, uh, I would trade up and take a swing at LaMelo Ball if he's still there at number two. Or if someone's going to offer you, you know, a future pick uh, and a first rounder that's not too far down the order, I think trading back would be potentially a good move too. So, uh, I think the Bulls are, they're in a pretty good position. I know a lot of people want to be like, well, you know, this could be a draft where you'd rather pick in the 7 to 12 range than at number four. And all that means is that you're just like scared of your convictions and players, right? It's always better to have the higher pick. Uh, you just have to really either trust who you want to take or, you know, try to find a trade down and see if you could pick up some additional assets on the way. So I like Killian Hayes. That's who I would take. Uh, I think Okoro could be a really interesting wing as well. He has some pretty defined strengths and weaknesses of an amazing defensive player who has a lot of versatility defensively, can even wall up and protect the rim. Great team defender, monster point of attack defender, uh, and also on offense, just like gets to the foul line a lot. And that's why you sort of hear some Jimmy Butler comps with him. I don't really think that's fair, just given the way that Butler sort of willed himself to sort improve one, one in a million one in a lifetime kind yeah of player, just like incredible yeah. individual improvement i said on another podcast that i would put uh, isaac okoro somewhere on the scale of justice winslow to jimmy butler so it's a big scale right and a lot <laughs> comes down to team contacts and how hard the player is going to work but right i like okoro i think okoro's got he if you just watched auburn all year like 
Okoro just plays winning basketball. You can't shoot. Maybe you can teach him how to do that. What you can't teach these other guys how to do is to be super smart and super aware defensively and how to just, like, go get the ball on defense and on offense. Drive the ball to the rim. Try to get fouled. He was a decent free throw shooter. So I like Okoro. Uh, Devin Vassell is another option as a 3 and D wing, not someone who's going to create much off the bounce. But... Very good team defender, above 40% three-point shooter. He's been reworking his release a little bit in the post-draft or in the uh, pre-draft process, and uh, it hasn't looked good. That always concerns me. Uh, uh, but uh, Vassell as a player was awesome, and I feel like that's really what I'm basing it off of. Like His two years at Florida State, dude was terrific just in terms of being a high IQ player. You could think of him sort of like Michael Bridges, but not as long. But that's kind of like the mold he's in, right? Like, you're not going to run like, a pick and like roll with him. 2023 and D kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, you're not going to run a pick and roll with him, but, like, you need good defensive wings who can also make three-pointers. And when those guys are really good, they're super valuable in an NBA context. And I think that, you know, Vizel projects as that type of player. So I guess the big-picture takeaway, though, is, like, we don't really have much information to go off of with this new Bulls regime. They have one data point, really, so far, and that's signing Billy Donovan. To me, I thought that that was them going with uh, who they thought was the best qualified coach in, like, in a lot of ways, sort of the safest coach. I think that Donovan, at worst, will probably be, like, a B-minus head coach, which when you're... Uh, going from a guy who was probably the worst head coach in the NBA and Jim Boylan to Donovan, that's going to be a significant upgrade. And, you know, maybe there's even some upward mobility in the Donovan hire. I think there's been examples of lots of coaches in the league who have found their footing on their second or third stops, and they weren't super great on their first stops. The best coaches learn from their mistakes, continue to adjust. So uh, I like the Donovan hire. I like everything I've seen out of Arturis. Are we calling him Karnishovis or Karnishovis? I still don't really know how to say it. I've heard people say it both uh, ways. Carney. AK Carney is what good. I usually say on my podcast. AK is weird. It's like, feels, it's like, I feel like two letter nicknames are reserved for like players, okay. right? Like I can't, I can't, I can't call Daryl Morey DM. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work for me. So, uh, Car- Carney. Right. Our boy Carney. I can't even get into the end of the name because, like, yeah, I can't fuck it up if I'm if I'm not going to say boy the Artie. Part of the name. Our boy Artie. Like, we Ar- we don't have Ar- a lot of data points on him, so that's really what I'm excited about the draft. Uh, I want to just like learn more about this front office, and like, this is going to be a big thing. Yeah. Excited to see what yeah. they do in free agency, and then you know, I sort of think like this first year of the new regime, the Bulls are going to kind of be in a holding pattern, except the fan base won't be super upset anymore. Like, if the Bulls win you know, whatever the equivalent of 30, 31 games next Just season. basic competence is going to be, like, so rewarding and, and nice, And it'll right? be like, well, like, what's next, right? Like, they're not going to lock themselves in to this bad underachieving core that the last regime, uh, you know, bandaged together. Like, I think they're going to make some moves. Like, after, like starting this season, Levine has two years left on his contract. So it's like resigning Levine. Uh, I was sort of critical of it at the time, but he's been worth his money. Like they haven't won anything, yep. but uh, he's not like super overpaid. I think Levine is like the 60th highest paid player in the NBA, and he might From not an be the point of view, it's great. 60th best player, but like he's probably around there, right? Like he's giving you some good moments. Maybe he is. Maybe he's even better than the 60th best player. It really depends how you want to look at impact on winning and uh, sort of the value of his defense and his passing or how much that subtracts from his value. Uh, But either way, I'm really excited about this next chapter of Bulls basketball because I think finally we have a fresh start. 
while I was worried with Paxson still being around uh, in the organization, him not getting fired, it didn't seem like Paxson had any influence over the Billy Donovan hiring, which is great. It seems like that was totally an AK production and Eversley production. So it's a new day for the Bulls. They have a lot of very tough choices ahead of them. And I am excited to see what they're, what, you know, Artie's management style is going to be. I think like, like we really just don't know too much. Even when you look at Denver, it's like he was part of a front office. I don't want to say like he was the reason they drafted Jokic. Right, uh, right. And Denver definitely made some bad moves, too. I mean, they traded Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles. So uh, I think instead it's just like fresh slate, clean slate. They are going to get evaluations on these young guys for the Bulls. That's Markkanen, Carter, Kobe White, Levine. And they're not going to be beholden to what the previous regime thought of them. I think that's really exciting. And it's going to be at least one season of a holding pattern, I kind of think. And then, uh, you know, maybe they try to make a move in the summer of 21, but we just won't have the same jokes, the same uh, sort of like pent up frustration. Yeah, we got to think of all new ones. Yeah, we won't have the same pent up frustration that has been following the Bulls since, you know, the D Rose, Joe Kim Noah, Tom Thibodeau teams collapsed, really. So, fresh start, clean slate. I'm not going to say that Artie's going to be the best executive ever. But I am optimistic about it, and I think, you know, Donovan, pretty good hire. So we'll see what happens. To bring it back, this is what hope feels like, and this is what it looks like when you have something to look forward to and something to build on. And whether it goes great or not, we'll find out in the years to come. We're at a position with the Bears now where we're starting to have some very clearly held opinions and kind of points of view, and they aren't necessarily positive ones, despite a bizarrely positive win-loss record and so trying to reconcile those things I think is the challenging thing week in week out where you can't fire a guy who's gone 25 and 13 or whatever it is but or a you know a GM that selected Eddie Jackson and Tariq and blah blah and built you know this solid core of players and yet there's so much negative going on under the surface that you can kind of see that rising to the fore versus you know all the positive things you see and here's why like think of it as a bell curve like, this era of Bears football, probably yeah. on the downslope of the bell curve, and it's like, they they just didn't they didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't do it when they had their chance rising. Now they're still tr- work out trying to, like, patch it together and, you know, still be a competent team. And, like, that's good, at least. Like, I wouldn't even be watching these games, really. I wouldn't be wasting my Sundays watching them if they were 1-6, you know? But instead, I'm still invested in the team. I still, like, I'm going to watch the Saints game to see how they respond to this uh, you know, embarrassing effort against the Rams, and we're still going to be invested even if they lose the Saints game because that's what they have, even if they're on sort of the tail end yep. of this window. What are we going to get every week? Because it might be this or it might be that. Yeah. Uh, Ricky, dude, it was good to talk to you, man. I'm glad you came back on. Yeah, dude, I can't wait till we could play pickup basketball again one day, uh, you know, if the world ever allows us to do that again and go to a bar maybe like all these things that me and you have done in the past that we can't do because the world is trash well we can still sit at home and drink you know or like in the dark complain about the bears uh, yeah yeah some things never change bro it feels good even when the world's (laughs) burning we can still complain about the bears (laughs) thank you 2020 for giving one thing to count on all right well the bears play the saints next week but for now losing uh 24 to 10 on monday night football against the los angeles rams wasn't a good one but Uh, Good chat, Ricky. I'm glad you came back. Thanks for having me, Zach.
Thanks again to my guest, Ricky O'Donnell. Uh, you can listen to him on the Cash Considerations podcast with Jason Pat and uh, read his work on SB Nation. He's back there with them, uh, and I really recommend it. Ricky knows his stuff, and he's a good dude. Uh, so thanks again to him for coming on the show, and thanks again to listening to the Chicago Shuffle podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lee. We'll get it again next week. I'll come back. I'll be positive. I almost think I should do previews of these damn things because I'm always positive going in, and then you guys get the brunt of it uh, in the aftermath. Nevertheless, I'm still in for it, still a Bears fan. God help me. And they're five and two. So bear down, go Bears. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Go to rcahelp.com podcast for more information on how to get treatment. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50-plus, for the LGBTQ plus community, a confidential program for first responders and service members, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for help. rcahelp.com slash podcast.